Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction and read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. As we release this episode, the calendar year is drawing to a close, and I think many of us are probably feeling that urge to take stock, to think about whether we've achieved the things we wanted, to think about relationships, to figure out what our life will look like in the coming months. Three Roses follows two close friends, new graduates who are roaming the streets looking for an open pub on Christmas Eve in Ljubljana, Slovenia. One of them is thinking about the future and what it does or doesn't hold. And one of them is hardly thinking about anything beyond the end of the night. It's by the Slovenian-Belgian writer Carmen Spieljak, who has also lived in Germany and Brazil. Her thriller No Such Thing as Goodbye was shortlisted for the Black Spring Crime Fiction Prize. And this story is from her short fiction collection entitled Add Cyanide to Taste a collection of dark tales with culinary twists. And in this case, the culinary twist is in the form of a mysterious drink which changes the characters' lives, but not the same way for each one. Now, if you're ready, let's take that deep breath. Begin. Three Roses by Carmen Spieljak. Around the same time every year, I go for a midnight walk. The day before Christmas, Yubiana is like a new toy dumped on the muddy playground abandoned. 
The planet-shaped lights seem desperate to inflict joy onto the empty streets. Defeat looms over the cobblestones like a broom, brushing away the last bits of holiday cheer and the final whiff of roasted almonds that lingers around the empty market. The stalls are folded against the wall, waiting to be taken apart. Most people have scattered, gone to visit their families and feast on home-cooked meals. Those who've stayed behind won't go out at this time of night, not unless there's an emergency. It's the same choice, given the weather. But I have my own ghosts to hunt. Sixteen years ago, on a night exactly like this one, we walked these streets together. It doesn't take much to tease out the memories. The thump of my heel against the frozen tarmac. The scent of cloves and cinnamon clinging to the window frames. The need to wrap the warmth around me while comfort stays out of reach, tucked away behind the walls. It's then that I summon the memory. The footsteps of two fresh graduates, high on wine and confidence, determined to find the one pub that hadn't turned off its lights. The icy tarmac shimmered that night. I slipped more than once. Jeez, Barbara, take care. Tina tightened her grip around my elbow. Don't make us look for a hospital instead. The next time you drag me out, at least get me too drunk to feel the cold, I said. Drag you out? (laughs) You were in such a hurry, you almost left without your shoes. I tugged at her sleeve to feel the soft filling of her winter jacket. Why do we bother? I asked. Everything's closed. Tina lowered her chin and gave me that, you tell me, look. I turned away, afraid that if I said what I wanted to, if I let the words crawl out from behind my teeth, they'd fall flat and shatter like icicles. Let's try this way, Tina said. Dirty slush soaked through my socks. The discomfort was good. It kept my thoughts at a safe distance from all the what-ifs. The last thing Tina needed was for her farewell to become a drama. We entered the old city market. The fog, thick like cotton, drifted up from the river towards the stone arches. Tina almost slipped but managed to regain her balance by grabbing my arm. I lost my footing and landed with a thump. Tina covered her mouth, then started to laugh. (laughs) Sorry, she squeezed through her teeth. But you flopped like a pro. Don't just stand there. I extended my hand and pulled on hers. She tipped over and landed in my lap. We burst into laughter. You're not trying to pass on your cold, are you? She scrambled onto all fours and pulled me up. It can be my goodbye present. Stop with the goodbyes already. So you're not leaving. Tina punched my arm. Just 
exploring. The air felt like an ice blade sliding down my throat. Too much was squeezed into our last hours together. Should I tell her, after all? It could be casual, unromantic, a few words that could slip out after I'd order the last round of drinks. She'd probably say something like, I love you too, Barbs. Then add, You're my best friend. Or something similar that'd fizzle out into an awkward hug. We'd part as though my words carried no meaning, and I wasn't trying to curve my life around hers. Let's go home, I heard myself say. Tina cocked her eyebrow. I didn't have you for a quitter. Besides, isn't a home just a place where you feel welcome? She took my hand. As we plowed through the slush, I tried to imagine us as a couple on a casual night out. I squeezed Tina's hand through my mitten. She let me hold it for a few moments before letting go. My feet are freezing, Tina said. Yeah, well, I'm not exactly... She grabbed my wrist and put her finger up. What's that? What's what? She pointed towards Yubiana's castle and pulled my arm. Can't you hear? We headed towards the hill where the fog appeared thinner. The outlines of houses started to emerge from the background, as if drawn by an invisible hand. Still not? she asked. I held my breath. It took a few moments for me to catch a faint melody playing a few blocks away. As we walked, the melody became more pronounced. I know this song, Tina said. My grandma used to play it. Isn't it Dream a Little Dream of Me? There must be a pub somewhere. That, or someone's playing it on their phone. We walked into a narrow alley. Tina stopped near a lamp, the old-fashioned kind that stuck out of the brick wall. It must be coming from there. Tina headed towards a blotch of darkness. There's nothing there. The inside of my mouth tasted bitter. I didn't want to go on, but Tina headed right towards the dark spot, so I followed. It turned out to be an unlit passageway that led to an inner courtyard. Tina propped her hands against her hips and nodded towards a building. See, she said. Not really. She pointed towards the ground. Only then did I notice a dimly lit window close to the ground. The tinted glass was brown and green and had a picture of a red rose in the middle. A pub. What if it's someone's house? Tina dropped to her knees and peeked through the window. You're so stuck up on homes and houses. What does it matter? There's a party and we're going. How will we get in? You are drunk. Come. She turned me so that I couldn't miss the stairs leading down to the cellar. I followed her down to a door with an ornate doorknob and a hand-painted sign that read, Three Roses. You serious about this? I asked. 
A sense that we were invading crept upon me in ways I couldn't explain. You want a drink or not? A flash of warmth gushed out as we entered. Inside, it smelled of beer and old things. We might be the youngest ones here, Tina said, as we squeezed past the bar. People's faces seemed oddly familiar, like childhood mementos or pictures of people you've often seen but never talked to. There's nowhere to sit, Tina said. I glanced at a long oak table. A couple was sitting across from another man, all in their sixties. Mind if we join? I asked. Please, said the woman, and flashed a smile with her kind green eyes. She wore a tweed skirt and a floral silk blouse that came together in a ribbon in the front. Tina wriggled out of her coat and hung it over a chair. What are we having? she asked. I don't know, I said, and started to look for the menu. Over there, Tina pointed at the blackboard near the bar. Can't read anything. It's too far away, Tina squinted. Lots of nice stuff, she said. But I'm not sure the price is right. It can't be this cheap. I stood up. Let me check. It's okay. Stay here and keep our seats, Tina said, and squeezed my shoulder. A jolt of electricity shot through me, and it took a conscious effort not to react. I ran through all the cliches I'd been repeating for the last year. That it was better to say nothing. That we'd been friends for too long. That in a few days, none of this was going to matter. Things might be different the next time we met. As Tina made her way to the bar, I took off my mittens and my coat and spread them over a radiator. What I needed was to drink myself into oblivion and numb the stubborn kernel of hope. Kind eyes smiled when Tina returned with four shots. Blueberry schnapps? I asked. Homemade, said Tina, and put the shots on the table. If you trust Milan. The waiter? owner. I glimpsed towards the bar, where a bald, red-cheeked man was wiping glasses with a tea towel. Making new friends already? The words came out sounding bitter, but Tina didn't notice. Cheers, she said, and clinked her glass against mine. After downing the shot, I coaxed the blueberries out with my finger. Does it have to taste this good? Tina asked. All I taste is alcohol, I said. That bloody cold. Well, I want to get hammered before I... She paused mid-sentence, eyeing the two remaining shots. It's going to be a long flight. All the way there. I couldn't bring myself to say it out loud to spit out the name of the wretched country. Tina wiggled her empty glass. It's Canada, Barbs, not Mars. Sure, I'll pop by for the weekend, I said. You could, you know. Or maybe you could find a job that's a bit closer, I said. 
Closer to what? Tina asked. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, let's get back to our story. Something shifted as if a cold current passed between us. Perhaps that was why Tina turned to the other end of the table. Almost instantly, kind eyes met her gaze. When do they close? Tina asked. Hardly ever, one of the men said. Milan likes to have company. Beerfoam clung to the bottom of his walrus mustache. You come here often? I asked, more out of politeness than wanting to know. Kind eyes opened her mouth, but the man beside her was quicker. We practically live here, he said. He had fewer wrinkles than walrus mustache, although his thick beard aged him. Milan is like family, isn't he, love? Kind eyes beamed at him. What about you? Thick beard asked, rubbing his forehead. Don't think I've ever seen you here. Don't be rude, kind eyes said and flashed a smile. You'll scare them off. That's all right, Tina said. It's our first time. We found it by chance, I said. Walrus Mustache tipped his head. Lucky you, he said. Make the best of it. Oh, we intend to, Tina said, and turned so she was facing them. I hated the idea of competing with three strangers for Tina's attention. I pushed one of the remaining shots in her direction, but Walrus Mustache didn't get the hint. You don't look like tourists, he said. We're not, I said, harsher than intended. Not today, anyway, Tina said. They gave us a strange look. She's moving, I said, somewhere far away. Kind eyes arched her eyebrows. Did she sense the resentment in my voice? You make it sound so dramatic, Tina said. It's only to Canada. Canada? Walrus Mustache asked. Now, that's something you don't hear every day. He waved towards the bar. It's not like forever, Tina said. I shifted in my seat, my eyes fixed ahead. Kind eyes whispered something to the other two. Walrus Mustache gestured to the man at the bar and pointed towards us. The next round is on me, he said. That's all right, I said. Really? 
we raised our glasses and downed the schnapps. As I chewed on the blueberries, I noticed that two bar stools had freed up. One for the road? I asked, nodding towards the bar. Tina seemed reluctant to leave the company, but she took our empty glasses anyway and returned them. The masonry bar had a thick wooden top and an array of colorful lights flickering above. Beer and water jars hung off the brass hooks in the back. Shelves were stacked with large mason jars filled with fruits and vegetables. Back already, Milan asked. Milan, meet my friend Barbara. He nodded at me, then turned back to Tina. You said it was your last time here. It is, Tina said. That's what they all say. I will admit that you make great schnapps, Tina said. <laughs> the best there is, Milan said. So, what can I get you? I felt a pang of envy at the ease between them. Tina had known this man for half an hour. Still, they talked as though they were old buddies. I, on the other hand, couldn't say the one thing I wanted to. Tina mentioned my cold. Some moments later, a blonde woman in an apron brought two barrel-shaped mugs. I stared at the cinnamon stick and orange slices floating in the crimson liquid. Mulled wine? You don't mind, do you? Milan said it might help. I took a sip. And? Tina asked. Burnt my tongue. Oh, Barbs, I can't believe you're missing out on this. You'll have to come back. Not sure it's my kind of place. It's definitely your kind of mulled wine. When we'd finished our wine, I collected my things. I was about to suggest getting a cab, but Milan and Tina were deep in a chat, like friends catching up. I couldn't understand why she wanted to hang around in a shabby bar. It didn't occur to me that it wasn't what she saw, but what she felt. Milan gestured to the apron woman who brought two more mugs. I arched my eyebrows. You can't leave without trying my hot chocolate, Milan said. It's a classic. <laughs> I bet you say this to everyone, Tina said. Only those who are about to leave, he said, and winked at me. Tina took a sip of hot chocolate. Her eyes widened. She looked at me and at the mug, then took another sip. All I could taste was warmth and sugar. Do you feel anything? Tina asked. Yeah, my burnt tongue, I said. She leaned the mug against her lips and closed her eyes. From where I stood, it looked as if she was smelling the chocolate. What do you feel? I asked. Tickling. What? Tina kept her eyes closed for a few moments. I can't explain, she said, once she opened them. I took another sip and tried to pay attention to the details. The hot porcelain against my mouth. The tip of my tongue still itchy from the burn. Slowly, my lips went numb. Tina turned to me with her wide brown eyes.
taste anything. My mouth is a bit numb. Tina smiled. You do feel it then. I put the cup down, struggling to hide my irritation. Must be the heat. As far as the taste goes, I could have been drinking boiled water with sugar. Her gaze dropped. That's all right. You wouldn't believe me. Tell me anyway. It's like... She licked her lips and glanced at the mug. You laugh. That's never stopped you before. She closed her eyes, perhaps to protect herself from my smirk, and took a long sip. It feels like a long hug, all warm and soft and a bit tingly. My knees became wobbly. It's quite sweet, but there's bitterness, too. Like fear that it will all end, she said. I leaned closer as Tina took another sip. If I could, I'd have bathed in the scent of her skin. That familiar pine and grass smell, but my cold had deprived me of that, too. When Tina opened her eyes, I got the strangest feeling that she could tell what was on my mind. Milan, she said, I have to know what's in here. I'm sure you do, Milan said. Tina put down the mug. I'm serious. Milan smiled and started to wash glasses in the sink. Are there cookies? I can definitely taste cinnamon, she said. Chocolate? Of course, milk, a pinch of salt, but there's something else, isn't there? Milan gave a mischievous smile. Persistent, this one, he said. Tina folded her arms. I'm not leaving till you tell me. Who said you had to leave, Milan said. Something stirred in my stomach, like a poke into a nest I didn't know was there. I bet your friend here doesn't want to leave either, he said. I put on my gloves. I'm knackered, actually. Tina peeked into my cup. Aren't you going to finish that? Have it, I said. But afterwards, I'm calling a cab. Tina sipped my hot chocolate for what seemed like forever. After she finished, she turned to me with her big brown eyes. One Last one? I sighed. Could we get two hot chocolates to go? I asked. To go where? Milan asked. To take with us, I said. Oh, no, said Milan. No drink ever leaves the house. Tina put on her jacket, but I could tell she didn't want to leave. Tell you what, Milan said. If you like it this much, why not come tomorrow? You're open on Christmas? Tina asked. If you come, I'll open for you. You'll make hot chocolate. Milan tapped her shoulder. She beamed at him. I got the strangest feeling that he was acting like the father she'd never had. They exchanged a few more words, and I went out to call a cab. 
Once we got home, I collapsed onto my bed and didn't wake up till afternoon. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, let's get back to our story. After a quick shower, I packed the presents from the artisanal Christmas market and texted Mum that I'd take the next bus. An urge came over me to get this goodbye over with. Ever since Tina announced she'd be moving to Canada, I'd been trying to say goodbye. The closer the day of her flight, the more I found myself clinging to the sound of her footsteps in the corridor, the shuffling in her room, any sound that indicated she was near me. That day, though, I wanted it to be over. I knocked on the door of Tina's room. Just a sec, she said in a broken voice. A few moments later, she appeared, fully dressed. Going out. White flakes the size of oats were falling through a thick gray layer of fog. There's half a meter of snow, I said and pointed at the window. Tina put on her jacket. I'll walk you to the station, she said. You don't have to. I know, she said. But I'm going out. Some fresh air, hey? A chill crept down my spine. You aren't going to that pub, are you? She rubbed her hands together. I might check if they're open. Isn't it a bit creepy that he said he'd open for you? Tina punched the side of my arm, but she did it half-heartedly, as though she didn't mean to. Oh, come on, Barbs, she said. He was just being nice. It's Christmas. We headed towards the bus station. A wet layer of fresh snow padded the path and muffled the sounds of traffic. Tina tried to lighten the mood by joking around, but a sense of distance already cut between us and molded our sentences into a muted goodbye. Let me know when you get there, I said. I'll call the second I get sorted out. We hugged. I got on the bus and tried not to look at Tina waving, but I couldn't help myself. I waved back till she became a small dot merging with the whiteness. 
Over the next few days, I kept checking my phone for the message. It didn't come. I told myself that she was tired, jet-lagged, that she'd probably got invited somewhere to a New Year's party and maybe stayed a bit longer, made new friends. When in mid-January I still hadn't heard from Tina, I sent her a long text. The message returned, undelivered. I called only to learn that her old number had been disconnected. I started inventing reasons for her silence because it was easier than asking questions. Honesty seemed like a stray dog, adorable from a distance, but if you came too close or offered your hand to pet it, you might find out it was rabid. The more I thought about it, the more I imagined what Tina's answer would have been had I asked her if something was wrong. She'd wait a few days before sending a long explanation that she'd left because of me, that I'd made her feel awkward, that she'd always love me, but not in that way. Come February, still no sign of Tina. I began to panic. On a whim, I decided to drop by the Three Roses and ask if Tina had said anything before leaving. I entertained the thought that she had canceled her trip and decided to work there as a waitress so she could get the recipe for that hot chocolate. It was already late when I circled around the old market. My memory of our route was like an old chest covered in cobwebs. I kept stumbling onto the same places without ever finding that blotch of darkness that had led us into the courtyard. I told myself I was tired and that I'd try again later. In the following months, I tramped the city, but I never found the pub. That autumn, I flew to Canada and checked the address Tina had given me. No one there had seen her. In fact, no one had ever heard of a Slovenian student living there. I became obsessed with finding three roses. I started to take long midnight walks, sometimes after a few glasses of wine. I hoped being in a similar state would help me remember the way to the pub. One time, I came close to what looked like the right spot. The street lamp threw twisted shadows, distorting my view. Where I expected to find the passageway was an old house. The tree and the lamp fitted into my blurry recollection, or what was left of it. There was no passageway, though, no courtyard, and no pub. I slumped against the damp wall of the old house. Tears, hot and sticky, trickled down my cheeks. Everyone I'd loved was gone. All I had was a handful of images fading in my mind. The harder I tried to make out the details, the more they felt like an illusion. It seemed as if even the images didn't want to stick around, but preferred to drift away.
Then a light turned on in the house. I wiped my tears with my sleeve and looked up to where an old woman's face was disappearing from the window. Some moments later, a key turned and the door screeched open. Out came a lady with a brown woolen stole around her shoulders. She was old, but not frail-looking. I thought it was you, she said. I raised my eyebrows. Have we met? I asked. You come here often, don't you? I was chuffed. It's not forbidden to walk here, is it? The old lady held my gaze, then slowly folded her arms. The skin on her hands was like cream leather stretched over thick blue veins. You're not looking for anything, then, she asked. Her voice carried a certain determination, which was perhaps why I answered her question. There's this pub I've once been to. Three roses, but I can't find it. Do you know if it closed? She blinked. Oh, it closed all right, she said. Long before you were born. My stomach nodded. That's impossible. I was there a few years ago. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, she said. But only for a specific kind of people. What do you mean? Her lips quivered. It's like a song to them, she said. Most other people won't hear it. An image of that night flashed before me, how Tina had heard the melody long before I had. Why? I asked. Who knows? She said. Maybe because they're lonely or lost. Nausea rose in my stomach. I remembered all those late-night talks with Tina, when she told me she felt like a tree that couldn't grow any roots. Are you saying it traps them, that place? I asked. Think of it as a refuge. Most people don't want to leave because they're afraid they'll never find their way back. Silence fell between us, crisp and cold like ice crystals on trees. I dug into my pockets to stop my fingers from shaking. You've been there, haven't you? I asked. She reached for the doorknob. You should go home, she said. It's starting to freeze. My midnight walk is almost done. I ignore the slush that makes my feet feel like blocks of ice. Only Yubyana's Christmas lights share my solitude, the planets and stars that are suspended above the tarmac. I think about them as I pass underneath, how we belong to each other, yet to no one at the same time. I can't help but wonder what drove Tina to Three Roses that Christmas day. Was it the sense of community? The feeling of belonging to a big family that she'd always dreamed of? Or was there something else? A fear? A longing 
a need to exist outside her life. I thought about how Milan appeared to have guessed my thoughts. Could he have guessed Tina's? Could he have given her a sense of home? As my socks get soggy and cold, I wonder what would happen if I found the passageway and turned the ornate knob that separates three roses from the world. I imagined that dream a little dream of me would play in the background. Tina would sit at the masonry bar. The flickering lights would throw eclectic bursts of color onto her silk hair. We'd hug. I'd tell her how much I'd missed her. How I'd loved her all these years. She'd punch me in the arm, harder than usual, then tap on the empty bar stool beside her. I'd order two cups of hot chocolate, no longer worried that our time together would run out. Relationships, right? They can be pretty complicated. And, um, and it is our own needs and desires that, you know, tend to complicate them even further. The sense that we belong to each other and yet to no one at the same time, that rings true for me. Really true. We hold expectations for one another. And sometimes those for whom we hold these expectations simply don't measure up. And that's not always their fault, right? There's another thing about the story that I I, I really relate to, and that's the magic of the place itself, the Three Roses. For my own part, I love a great pub. It's it's one of the places I feel most comfortable in in my life. I, I... I love the sense of community and camaraderie and the regulars. I've become a regular at a couple of places over the years in, in my neighborhood, and I love that sense of belonging. And, and there are some times that I, I just I, I want a, a darkly lit place. I want to sort of hide and disappear. And then there are others when I just want to be in it. I want to be in that energy of, fellowship and community and camaraderie. The magic that we imbue with locations, with restaurants or cities, places that we've been, places that we want to return to, that magic is real. And Three Roses reminds me that there are places like that in my life, places where I feel most at home. At one point in the story, Barb says she realizes that it wasn't what Tina saw in the place, but what she felt. 
I wish for you this holiday season that you feel the joy and the warmth and the comfort of fellowship. And if it is your choice to be alone, I wish for you the feeling of peace and contentment. God bless everybody. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. And happy Hanukkah to all those you love and those you're still working out whether you love them or not. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith, the best in the business, y'all. Our fabulous researcher is L.D. Lewis, always happy to have you aboard, my sister. Editing and sound design courtesy of the spectacular skills of Mr. Justin Asher. Our original theme and credits music is by our own Brendan Burns. And thanks to Talon Stradley for his invaluable production support. My thanks to Carmen Spieljak for allowing me to read her story today. You can find it in her collection entitled Add Cyanide to Taste. And she has another collection of culinary noir out now called Pass the Cyanide. If you like the podcast, one of the best things you can do to support it is to tell a friend. Just pick an episode and send them the link. Share the short fiction wealth. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Josephine Martorana and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And if you want to find me on the internet, I'm LeVar.Burton on Instagram, at LeVar Burton on Twitter, or the LeVar Burton on TikTok. You can also go to LeVarBurton.com. And hey, if you want to join my book club, go to Fable.co slash LeVar. We're reading together, y'all. Come join us. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.